Scripture today is found in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. One more time. Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, any pastor coming back from vacation wants this to be the text on their first Sunday back. <laughs> and any pastor leading a church into the September launch longs for a passage like, to, like this to be the passage, just to generate a bit of excitement in the congregation. <laughs> But again, we're preaching through the lectionary, and this is Ordinary Time, uh, week number 18, and this is our text. And the first thing I'll say, even before we get into uh, you know, the scripture, is that it is a good practice to place ourselves under the authority of scripture rather than cherry-picking cherry picking a favorite passage. So let's assume that God wants to say something to us this morning through Luke chapter 14. This is the start of a new series, uh, and we're calling it um, How Disciples Live, not necessarily what disciples believe, but how disciples live. And this morning we're unwinding or unpacking this idea uh, that disciples of Jesus do a cost analysis, that if you're a disciple of Jesus, part of being a disciple is that you do a cost analysis. Counting the cost is what we, we call it, is how it's referred to in the Bible. Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So what is Jesus on about here? Because I don't know about you, but uh, 
when I hear a verse like this, my reaction is to channel the, um, the spirit of a Taylor Swift song, right? There's this line that goes, haters gonna hate, 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 hate. I'm just gonna, what? Shake it off. Hands up if you heard that song. Okay, good. That's what I wanna do, because here we have Jesus who seems to be talking about hate, 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 and my reaction is that I just want to shake it off. I want to pretend that Luke 14, 25 and 26 does not exist, that it's not in the Bible. I just want to shake it off. I just want to move on and find those verses about Jesus that I like. Friendly Jesus, nice Jesus, not hateful Jesus. After all, this is Jesus, the Son of God, Love incarnate. Jesus, whose very nature is love, of whom 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. This is Jesus speaking. Luke 14 is Jesus speaking, who loved his mother from the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. This is the same Jesus of whom uh, Romans 5 verse 8 speaks, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What about John 15 verse 9? As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. And when I hear this Jesus talking about hating our families, what I want to do is I want to move on. I want to shake it off. I want to pretend I never heard him say that. I want to be like an elderly relative with selective hearing. <laughs> Nathan and I are, uh, are working through a, a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And, uh, and in chapter three, the author Pete Scazzaro tells of his friend Sam. And Sam, through Pete, tells this story of when Sam was in China. And while he's in China, Sam meets with Pastor Lee, a pastor of a 5,000 person church. And while they're, while they're talking, she starts to sob. Pastor Lee starts to sob. Why? Well, she's exhausted after preaching six times every Sunday. Plus, she hadn't had a day off in seven years. I've just come back from a two-and-a-half-week vacation. Her cell phone was on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She would have people call her up at two o'clock in the morning. She just saw her, and she just saw her husband one day out of every two weeks because he worked in a city five hours away, and she saw her teenage boys at most two times a year because they attended a boarding school in the States. The author, Pete Scazzaro, then takes up the story. This is not a good situation, Sam said kindly. Can we talk about some changes that you and Pastor Lee cut him off? You think my situation is bad, she said, pointing her finger at Sam. Let me tell you about another pastor from a different city. His wife and son are living here and attend our church, but he pastors in a church in a city 20 hours away by train. He is He's so busy that he comes home only once a year for Chinese New Year. He stays for one night, but then he returns to his church. What 
Sam said, shocked by what he was hearing. No, it gets worse, Pastor Lee said. He has so much to do, he feels guilty about taking time away. There is so much need. Last year, as he was about to board the train to leave his family for another year, his young son ran after him, crying and begging him, please stay here, Daddy. Pastor Lee's voice grew soft. Do you want to know what the, what the father did? She said, looking down at her shoes. He kicked his son and said, oh devil, get thee behind me. Then he pushed his son away and got on the train. Sam was stunned. You see, Sam Lee concluded with resignation in her voice. What you don't understand is that it is wrong if we don't sacrifice everything for the gospel. So is this what Jesus means in Luke 14, 26? If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Are we to kick our children when they get in the way of kingdom work? Over the next few minutes, I want to uh, walk a bit of a balancing act of trying to uh, explain Scripture without explaining Scripture away, okay? You see, explaining Scripture is seeking to understand what Jesus meant, whereas explaining Scripture away is saying Jesus couldn't have possibly meant that and then moving on. Or as one commentator said, Clearly, this passage cries out for interpretation. However, although such exegesis may take a little of the bite out of the words, uh, in what follows, we should not lose sight of the radical nature of Luke 14. In the end, a stubbornly hard kernel of truth remains. So all of that being said, one way to understand this passage, and this is what many commentators say, is that Jesus is talking about priority of affection. In other words, he's saying, in comparison to how much you love me, your love for your family should look like hatred. A few weeks ago, Wales's Joshua Stacey beat Australia's Lynn Marr in table tennis during yeah, the Commonwealth Games. And uh, so we would be correct in saying that Josh won gold and Lynn won silver. Or we might say that Josh came first and Lynn came second. Or we could say that Josh won and Lynn lost. All of these are perfectly accurate, fine ways of expressing what happened there on the podium. And maybe this is a way that we can understand Luke 14, 25, that when it comes to the battle for the affection of our hearts, there can only be one winner, and that is Jesus. And Luke 14 actually, ha actually has a parallel, uh, a parallel passage in Matthew 10, 37, and it seems to support this understanding. Matthew 10 says this, The one who loves a father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So while when Luke talked about hating, Matthew talks about loving more. It's the positive way of expressing the same truth. But the long and the short is that the life of a disciple is one where there is one Lord, one God, one King, and one ruler. 
and it's Jesus. Everything and everyone else has to play second fiddle. Luke then takes this idea and he carries it further in verse number 27 that says this. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, remember that Jesus, you know, this is part of the, of the travel narrative in, uh, in, in, in Luke. And he's walking towards the cross, right? He had that moment where he turned his face towards, towards Jerusalem and he's walking towards the cross. Everything that happens after that is part of this travel narrative. So Jesus is on his way to the cross. And Luke's main thrust in his gospel account is to present Jesus as what's known as the Messiah, He's the one uniquely chosen to rescue a broken humanity. And so Luke is constantly trying to exalt Jesus and lift Jesus up as the chosen one who sacrificially laid down his own life. That is what Luke is all about. And, uh, and so here's Jesus walking along and in his wake, Jesus is leading a group of people who are walking in his footsteps. And so if Jesus bore his cross for all of humanity, then in that context, we are called to live as if we were dying. We are called to bear our own cross, to take up our own instrument of self-abnegation, of self-rejection, and to follow in the footsteps of our Messiah Lord. And Jesus knows, because he experienced it in his own life, if you read the gospel accounts, that there is nothing that will hinder the process more than our own wishes, our own desires, and our own families. And so another way to understand Jesus' hard words about hating our family members and um, about bearing our own cross is that when, when our human kingdoms our families, etc., come into conflict with Jesus' kingdom, our family relationships must give way to the priority of Jesus. Now, let's pray this never happens. But in many parts of the world, this is the reality. In people who are living in Muslim-majority nations, that's, you know, this is happening over and over again. And so if your family is pressuring you to renounce Christ or Christ's call on your life, then Luke makes it very clear what your next step is supposed to be. You see, friends, Christ's priorities are our priorities. His will becomes our will. We are to bear our own cross and to come after him, to follow after him. We are to live like we, we are dying. Because there is nothing more clarifying in life than knowing you've got a limited amount of time left on this world. There was this, uh, 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 the, uh, he was a Puritan, I think, uh, he was a preacher, um, Richard Baxter, and he said, I preached as never sure to preach again, and as a dying man, I preached to dying men. I preached as never sure to preach again. I preached as if this was my last message. I preached as if this was all that I had left, as if I'd never have the chance to speak ever again. And I preached as a dying man speaking to people who were dying. What if we lived in that way? And then to drive his point home, Jesus then gives two images. He gives a tower and a wall. Luke, Luke 14, 28 says this. 
For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, while, while, uh, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. And then Jesus tells his second uh, parable or example. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, um, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now, each of these images, these uh, scenarios, um, sorry, I I should have fast-forwarded that, but uh, each of these um, images in Luke 14, they, they they, they stress the point that we must count the cost before choosing to follow Jesus. Uh, and, you know, and so I want you to try to imagine what it would be like to have the responsibility of a king with 10,000 soldiers and trying to make a decision whether you can take on an opposing king with 20,000 soldiers. Just think of the planning in the war room, the pouring over the maps, the looking at it from all the different angles, uh, the the seeking advice, consulting um, historical precedent, uh, um, looking back in the history books, looking for the right place to have the battle, you know, the right time of day, is the sun in front of you, is the sun behind you, you know, making sure that you have the right ground and the right level and the right weather, all of that stuff. And Jesus is saying that that level of scrutiny and forethought is required when deciding whether we follow Jesus. And what this means is that following Jesus isn't for everyone. Now, of course, it's open to everyone, but not everyone will choose following Jesus because it's hard. And you, may, and, and you would only do something as absurd as following Jesus if you believe it's the right thing to do, if you believe that Jesus' truth claims are true. If, you, if, if you're convinced in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then you will follow him. In other words, disciples do a cost analysis. You see, our passage today starts off with these words, now great crowds were traveling with him. Jesus is ultimately going to his death, and as he walks, there's a carnival of the curious and the hangers-on and miracle seekers and the bored and the rubberneckers and and the semi-interested. There's Joe who's there on his lunch. And as Joe's there on his lunch... Jesus, uh, Jesus turns and he starts to speak to Joe and the rest of them. And Jesus' next words are intentional. They're purposeful. They're sharp like a scalpel. He knows what he needed to communicate in order to thin out the crowds to find out the few genuine seekers. And these are the words that Jesus spoke to Joe and the rest. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Who does, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And Joe says, well, that's me done. And he goes back to work. You see, Jesus is doing what Gideon did back in Judges 7, verse 7, right? God got a crowd of 22,000 quote-unquote soldiers down to 300. 
And Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's not interested in weekend warriors or Sunday followers. He's removing the bloat. You see, Jesus knows that his kingdom is the size of a mustard seed. That his kingdom follows a narrow way. That his kingdom is a kingdom of the few. Now, not that any of the few are special, right? Not at all. But it's these few who realize the specialness of Jesus. And we realize the specialness of Jesus as we follow him to our deaths, to the death of our wills and our plans and and even our relationships. It's as we do that that we find life. It's in the moment that we choose to love Jesus above all others that we're empowered to, others, to love others in a correct way, whether it's our neighbors, our friends, or our enemies. You see, when we die to ourselves, we're not losing, we're winning, we're gaining, we get life. It's a bit like that uh, man who, uh, who traded up his, uh, a, a red paperclip for a house, right? But instead of doing it in 14 transactions, uh, yeah, I think he was a Canadian. Um, but rather than doing it in 14 transactions, over the span of a year, uh, we, we trade up in an instant. We give Jesus our full selves, and in, and in response, we receive God's full self. Ephesians 3, 17 says this, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what we get in the trade. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, as I wrap up this morning, in many ways, I feel that we're left with as many questions as we had at the beginning. And, you know, we've been trying to explain Jesus's words without explaining away Jesus's words. Um, And we have to do that because Jesus's words are tough. They were tough to hear in those days, and they're tough to hear this morning. It's not easy to hear the word hate come out of Jesus' mouth, uh, especially when it's relation to others that we love, like our family members. But hopefully now we're starting to see that perhaps there's something else going on here. And so this morning, just as he did then, he's wanting to thin out the crowd. And so Jesus wraps up our text this morning in verse 33, as he's continuing to try to thin out the crowds in the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. And here's where it all boils down to. It's the question of what is the value of Jesus? What is the value of the gospel? What is the price that we put on the good news that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them? What is the value? What is the price tag that we put on that good news that God was, recogni- was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them? How valuable is that message? How valuable is that truth? And might it be that anything can become an idol, even our families, even our friends, even our loved ones, even our communities, even our church, even our own life. And that when we love anything above Jesus, that we are in fact failing to love anyone 
correctly. Might it be that if you commit to following Jesus in self-denial, prizing him against Uh, praising him above all others, that he will give you the power to love your family in a way that you could never do in your own strength. You see, the Jesus who said uh, this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be, be my disciple. That Jesus who said this is the same Jesus who declared in Mark chapter 7, verse 10, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And the Jesus who talked in Luke 14 is the same Jesus who spoke through Paul uh, to, uh, in 1 Timothy 5. But if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. You know, the challenge here isn't how much you can prove your love for God through your hatred to others. The challenge here is to love God and live for God and serve God in such a way that the people look at that love for God and they are confused. So even as I'm wrapping up this morning, again, I want to soften the blow and I want to take a step away from Jesus' words because I feel uncomfortable. I feel that Jesus is kind of like someone who suffers from Tourette's, that he's just shouted out something that I need to explain or to uh, maybe translate, you know. Uh, When I hear Jesus say what he said in Luke 14, I want to say to you, would you forgive him? Because he knows not what he's saying. But Jesus did mean what he said, otherwise he wouldn't have said it. But at the same time, he didn't mean it, at least not in the way we might think. But he did mean it. But he didn't mean it. But he did mean it. And maybe the best I can do this morning is to say that uh, Jesus meant every word he said, but not necessarily in the way that you think. And at the end of the day, just like the crowd in Luke chapter 14, you have heard Jesus' words and you are accountable for your response. I'm not accountable for you. You're, you're not accountable for me. I have to wrestle with these words and I have to allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate them to my conscience and my life. I have to do the hard work of laying them alongside, you know, the whole testimony of Scripture and living them out just like you do. Why? Because that's what disciples do. That's how they live. So one last time, let me read Jesus' words to you. But first, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us? Would you illuminate? Would you thin the crowd? Would you identify the disciples? Would you use the words of Jesus to do the work in us that only Jesus' words are able to do? 
Would you break down our defenses, our objections, our offendedness? Lord, we confess our desire to rationalize and our need to explain away. And Lord, as we hear these words of Jesus one more time, may the revelation of your words bring light. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. On October the 28th, 1949, Jim Elliott, missionary to the Quechua Indians in Ecuador, wrote 16 words in his journal. 16 words. Less than seven years later, Jim Elliott was dead in a river, killed by 10 Huarani warriors, along with four of his fellow missionaries. And those 16 words from seven years earlier that Jim wrote in his journal was his own cost analysis. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Lord, I thank you for hard passages. I wish that they weren't there. I wish that we could fast forward past Luke 14. And yet, Lord, it's there. And in your love and your wisdom that you caused Luke, this wonderful doctor who knew how to be precise, you you got him to capture your words exactly as they were so that we could read them and so that you, the Holy Spirit, could speak to us in our situations right now. Lord, we submit ourselves to your word. We don't claim that we have more wisdom or more insight than you. We don't force scripture to mean something that it was not intended. And yet, Lord to God, we do acknowledge that there are cultural things going on here, that there is something going on here that maybe we aren't necessarily party to, that we need someone to guide us through and to help us see what is really going on. Lord, I thank you that that even when we come to a passage like this, that we have the whole counsel of Scripture, that we can lay it alongside and say, Lord, your, your ways are higher than ours, that your wisdom is higher than ours, that your glory uh, is higher than ours, and that, Lord, you are a God of love who calls us to hate our own families and to lay down our own lives Whatever that means, Lord. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.